We apologize this week's sermon is missing the first five minutes of the video. And so Jesus tells us over and over while he is speaking parables, pay close attention. Consider carefully what I am saying, Jesus instructs his hearers. So let's jump in to three little parables that Jesus tells us today. Uh, the kind of the heart of Mark chapter 4 are these four parables. We saw the big one last week, the parable of the soils. And this week we'll talk about the other three. Uh, verse 21. And he, this is Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus asked a very simple question here with a very obvious answer. What is the purpose of a lamp? Now, if you were to ask my beautiful wife this question, what is the purpose of a lamp? She would have all kinds of answers. Uh, one of the primary answers would be to create a feeling of warmth in the home. Is this right, babe? A feeling of warmth in the home. I've warned you guys before. I'll say it again now just as a disclaimer. If you ever hear that, Ashley um, ran off from Devon. You need to go just down the list of lamps in my house because she probably left me for a lamp. That's how much she loves lamps. She's deeply in love with lamps, okay? And so she has a lamp for feelings of warmth in the house as long as other things. In my mind, uh, the purpose of lamps is it gives me something to have to turn off every night that I didn't turn on. I didn't turn any of these on. Why well, am I responsible to turn them off? Conversations that happen. That's why the definition of marriage is so complex. Jesus obviously gives the reason for a lamp here, which is to give off light, right? To provide light. He says we do not hide lamps. We do not extinguish the light. We place it in a place that allows for maximum illumination to be able to see. Um, Zach, my older son, is coming home this week from college. He'll be staying with us for the summer. He's trying to clean out his closet yesterday to give space for the stuff he's bringing home. And the light that is in his closet is out. It's toast. Can't replace it. The balance is out. And that's way more complicated than I know how to fix. And so I'm in there scrambling around in the closet um, trying to move stuff. And I've, I've thought in my mind and said multiple times, this place needs a light so I can see Call Lowry and tell him to come get a light in this closet. There's your heads up. Um, to provide light, to provide illumination, right? To be able to see. Now the context here suggests that Jesus is referring to the kingdom message. He has been proclaiming throughout this region that God's rule and reign will not remain hidden, but it will be revealed. Even more specifically, this metaphor applies to Jesus. Jesus is the true light. He is the light that has been sent into a dark world to open the spiritually blinded eyes of his followers. If we're to put this in the context of how the religious leaders viewed Jesus in that day, Jesus is not just some backwoods, homespun, kind of wannabe rabbi who skipped divinity school and is attracting these large crowds of people because he works miracles. Jesus is the promised Messiah, and he has been sent to initiate the rule and reign of God on earth. So listen closely to what he says. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus says in verse 24. And he said to them, 
Pay attention to what you hear. And then look at this analogy. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to, who, for, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. In other words, it is possible to listen and not hear. It is possible to be listening and not really hearing. Again, what that means in this context, it is possible to be listening and miss what God's kingdom is all about. To miss the purpose of God's kingdom. It is possible to view the kingdom of God through our own desires, our own expectations, our own fears, our own prejudices, and miss what God is doing. And Jesus issues a stark warning here. He says those who lean into the kingdom of message by leaning into Jesus are given further insight, further life perspective on the kingdom. So it goes back to his kingdom message. Repent and believe, right? Turn from your way of living and doing things and live under his rule and reign. And to do so is to experience true life, abundant life. So Jesus preaches this gospel of the kingdom. Entrance into this kingdom, he says, is to turn, to turn and believe, to stop walking your path, steering your own life, and to live under his rule and reign. And Jesus says to those who do that, further insight is provided, that they are able to experience true life. On the other hand, those who are complacent, and fail to lean into who Jesus is and what He is doing, Jesus says they forfeit the spiritual insight they have been given. Failing to acknowledge and live under His rule and reign has eternal consequences. Here's an important question that we can apply from this, these, these little verses here. What am I doing with what I have been given? What am I doing with what I have been giving? There's a biblical principle at work here that is really throughout a lot of the New Testament. And the biblical principle that's at work here in the words of Jesus is how I use what I have been given for God's kingdom is more important than what I have been given and how I use it for building my kingdom. Let me say that again. How I use what I have been given for His kingdom, for God's kingdom, how I use what I've been given for his kingdom is more important than one, what I've been given, and two, how I'm using what I've been given for my kingdom. Here's the struggle with that in the New Testament. Over and over and over again, we learn from Jesus that kingdom living is really upside down living. It's backward living from what everything we're taught about how to live in my kingdom, my rule and reign. Kingdom living is upside down living. Here's what that means. Jesus says if you want to increase, you do so by decreasing. If you want to save your life, you do so by what? Losing your life. If you want to gain things in life, Jesus says, you do so by giving things away. This is upside-down living. This is counter-cultural living. Jesus says if you want to become great, you do so by becoming a servant, by serving, upside-down living. The opposite of my kingdom living. My kingdom living says I gain by hoarding and hiding and using what I've been given for my own agenda. Jesus says kingdom living is the 
opposite of that. It is upside down living. That the way to gain is to give away. The way to increase is to decrease. The way to obtain greatness is by serving. So Jesus speaks of two different postures here when it comes to spiritual insight. The one who leans into Jesus. The one who embraces God's rule and reign. Jesus says will experience more of the life-giving power and counter-cultural living of the kingdom. But those who choose to live life in the driver's seat of their own life will find themselves outside of God's kingdom and destined to the fate of their own depravity. So, pay careful attention to what Jesus is saying. Pay close attention to His words because life and truth are revealed in the teachings, the words of Jesus. All right, let's look at the second little story that Jesus gives us in verse 26. And He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle. This is uh, imagery we'll come back to in just a moment. He puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So like last week, Jesus takes us back to the illustration of the story of farming. Now, notice how Jesus uses the ordinary and not the extraordinary to define kingdom living. The kingdom of God, he says, is disguised in the everyday rhythms of life. This is not what his followers expected. This is not what they were anticipating. In this parable, the kingdom is compared to a simple growth process that a farmer plants seed and waits for the seed to take root, sprout, and grow. The farmer does not generate the growth. God grows His kingdom. Kingdom growth is not about our genius or our abilities or our strategies. The only allusion in this parable to human activity is waiting in faith. Waiting in faith. A trusting confidence that the harvest is coming. What that means is the seed in itself The seed contains within itself all the potential it needs to grow fruit, to become fruit, to become a harvest. It grows automatically without any human effort, without human intervention at all. And we get this. Like if you live kind of out where you can just like throw things into the woods that you don't want, right? Um, Not trash, but you know, like if you have a rotten piece of fruit or uh, uh, something that that grows, right? You throw it out in the woods and then you're out in the woods like two years later and you look and there's a little plant there. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm growing better tomatoes out in the woods from the four rotten tomatoes I threw away than what I'm trying to grow back here at the house, right? It's like accidental fruit out there. I'm like, get the basket, let's go out into the woods and gather the fruit that we can't grow at home. But the idea is like you just throw things out and stuff grows, It just happens, right? We don't make it happen. There's no science behind, let me do this to the seed, and it will grow. Things just grow naturally without human intervention. The kingdom grows because, listen, of the king, not because of the citizens of the kingdom. Such an important idea. The kingdom of God grows because of the king. 
not because of the citizens of the kingdom. Growing the kingdom is less about what we do and more about who we do it for. It is His kingdom. We say this all the time at City Church. Jesus speaks in Matthew. He says, I will build what my church. It's His church. Our number one core value at City Church is the church belongs to who? To Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. It's His church. It's His church. The church belongs to Jesus. He is building His kingdom. And here's the good news for us. He built His kingdom through His people, empowered by His Holy Spirit. Again, it is empowered by God Himself. It's not left up to us. It is the enabling and power, empower, power of God, the Holy Spirit, that works through us to build the kingdom. We are the people of God. And what that means is we do not sit back passively. We plant, we water, we seed, we weed, we nurture, we protect, right? Paul says we do the work of the ministry, but we do not pretend for a second that our creativity, our activity, our coolness is what grows the church. It is His church. He will build His church. Same thing is true in the very practical illustration of gardening. Again, if you grow a garden, you get this, right? You just don't go out there and throw a bunch of seed down and hope things turn out for the better, even though even in that process, something probably will grow. What we do is we cultivate the soil. We weed and we use fertilizer and we do things to enable the seed to grow most effectively. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that we can do to the seed itself to make it grow, right? We simply cultivate the soil around us. There is something in the seed that enables its own fruit producing, its own growth. So what that means is the church, we preach the gospel, we serve our community, we invite people to gather with us. We point people to Jesus through how we worship, how we teach, through our facilities, through our kids' ministries, and on and on and on. We use what God has given us to point people to Jesus, and we trust Jesus to build His church. We focus on the King, and He will grow His kingdom as He desires. I love in this parable that God does not launch His kingdom like, Poseidon, you know, throws down a thunderbolt to earth. Like, that's not how the kingdom of God is, is planted. The kingdom of God is planted as a seed, growing, maturing, flourishing, and moving toward that final harvest. He uses the imagery of a sickle here. If you trace that back into the Old Testament, sickle imagery has to do with the idea of judgment, that the prophets would speak of God's judgment falling like a sickle gathering at harvest time. And so the language here is intentional by Jesus, that there is coming a time when the harvest will happen, when judgment is coming, where both heaven, um, heaven and judgment will be a reality for eternal future. And the kingdom, Jesus says, is not advanced through, ready, political revolution. Remember the group that we've talked about in Mark's Gospel called the Zealots? Their goal was to get God's kingdom to earth by political aggression. And if that means we need to kill people or wipe out people to overthrow the Romans, so be it. Jesus backs up. It's not about political revolution. And then he's speaking here indirectly against the, the idea of the Pharisees. That the kingdom of God is not about an adherence to some code of religious activity or religious ethics. The Pharisees believed 
that if we lived the right lives and did the right things, then God's kingdom would come more quickly. Jesus backs it up. It's like sowing a seed. The seed in itself grows. As a matter of fact, Jesus says the kingdom of God, as he teaches us throughout Mark's gospel, takes the shape of a cross. Jesus says you die to yourself in order to gain life. And just as Jesus could not be confined to a certain category, a certain agenda, a certain expectation, even so the rule and reign of God on earth happens in His way, in His timing. We cultivate the soil and trust Him for the harvest. I will build my church, Jesus says. Now look at the third story, verse 30. Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make, shade, can make nest in its shade. So not only, Jesus says, the advancement of God's kingdom guaranteed because it's God who does the work but Jesus says God grows his kingdom at a rate that is astonishing <clears throat> that the kingdom starts small but it grows vast grows large starts small grows vast I mean it's always kind of mind-boggling to me when you think about um, growing fruit or vegetables or whatever it may be that the things that we grow and eat come from the simplest and smallest of seeds, right? Is that mind-boggling to you that at times you plant a single plant or a single seed and it produces at times dozens if not hundreds of pieces of fruit or vegetables for us to enjoy? Like the, the science behind that is just mind-numbing at times. How can all of this come from something so tiny, something so small? And that's what Jesus compares the kingdom of God to. We, we hear the cliche, right? Great oaks come from little acorns grown. Uh, one small little acorn becomes this mighty oak tree. Again, the idea of the kingdom of God was the opposite of what his audience was anticipating. They expected the kingdom to arrive with this worldwide impact that Jesus was going to come and overthrow the Romans and reestablish this earthly dynasty and they were going to rule and reign by His side. And here comes Jesus and He compares the kingdom of God to a minuscule seed. And this is why His disciples and His followers struggled so deeply to understand what was going on. These young, impressionable, fervent men believed they were going to follow Jesus into Jerusalem and overthrow the bad guys and restore their lost kingdom. And Jesus shows up and He talks about lamps and farmers and different types of soil and tiny seeds that turn into big trees and bushes where the birds of the air gather and build their nest and on and on and on. And at times the disciples scratched their heads and said, Jesus, this is not what we signed up for. And Jesus says, pay attention. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because kingdom life is not what 
you think it is. The kingdom starts small and expands globally now, right, over time through the work of God. And when Jesus is saying this to this small group of followers, that this, this kingdom will start as a seed and it will expand globally, it will be bigger, right? And the analogy he uses here of birds gathering in implies people outside of their own little circle, outside of the Jewish race, that this is a worldwide, right, gathering of people from all over the world. And so Jesus says, look, it's going to start small, but it expands globally. And over time, we have seen now for 2,000 years, through the work of God, His grace has been extended to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Which, by the way, the words that Jesus is speaking here, it's good news for us Gentiles. I don't know if you know this or not, but the United States of America is not the center of God's kingdom. You get that, right? We're not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is worldwide. We're a part. We're one of the branches Jesus is talking about here. Right? We, Gentiles, North American Gentiles in particular, we're not even in the framework of Jesus' followers to even think for a second that God's kingdom message would be passed to us. We were outside the fold in their minds. So I'm glad that Jesus speaks in global terms here to say the kingdom's bigger than what you ever anticipated. And maybe we need to hear that message today. Because we try to make the kingdom all about us. The way we think, the way we live, we somehow manage to make ourselves and our cultural context the center of God's kingdom. And these words remind us that we are not the center of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is everywhere in the nooks and crannies of all over the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation that proclaims Him as King. And we need to be regularly reminded of that. The kingdom of God. Starting small. Spreading globally. Until every, every nation has heard and is gathered into His fold. Let's end with 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Mark concludes this section of kingdom stories, reminding us that parables, again, revealed the truth and obscured the truth based on whether we are listening. So we are invited to stop and listen. Stop and pay attention. To recognize the kingdom of God has already arrived on earth in Jesus. That God has entered our exile and His rule and reign have been initiated and established in the hearts and lives of His followers. We call it the church. That God's kingdom has already entered. God's kingdom is already on earth at some level. And at the same time, as we've talked about in our Mark series, we still await. We wait for that final harvest, the consummation of His kingdom. And so we live in this tension between the already established kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in our hearts and lives and in our gatherings that we call the church, and this not yet tension that God's eternal kingdom has not been finally established on earth. We realize there is a day that is coming when the kingdoms of this world will give way to the kingdom of the king of kings and he will rule and reign forever and in the meantime we live in the in-between 
but we hear the words of Jesus here. His kingdom will not remain hidden. You know what that means? There is coming a day when His rule and reign will encompass all of heaven and earth. All will know, all will see that He is the King of kings. And we, His people, will live in this place, His kingdom, and we will live in His presence. He is taking us back to the beginning of the story, when our story began. He's taking us back to Eden, where humans lived in relationship with God, His people, His place, His presence. And He is recreating a world, a kingdom establishment that we will live with alongside Him through all eternity. In the meantime, we faithfully cultivate our souls. We remain steady in the small, in the ordinary. We keep our eyes on the King and our ears open so that we might lean into who Jesus is and what He's doing. So I have just a few questions for us as we end up kingdom stories. Are we cultivating our souls by leaning into Jesus so that we might have the ears to hear, and the eyes to see? Are we cultivating our souls by leaning into who He is? Are we paying attention and stepping into, listen, stepping into kingdom opportunities? In other words, looking for ways for our light to shine the gospel in our world. You see, there's a two-step application to what Jesus is saying here about the lamp. As a matter of fact, Matthew takes it in that direction. He says, you are the light. You're the lamp. That you are a city set on a hill, shining the light of Jesus in the dark corner of the world where God has placed us. And so are we paying attention to kingdom opportunities? Are we shining the light in our social influence, in our sphere of influence? Am I shining the light in my community? Am I shining the light in my family? Dad and mom, are we shining the light of Jesus before our kids? Let me even take it a step further. Dads? Dads? Are we shining the light of Jesus into our families? Or are we just kind of leaving it up to mom to kind of set the spiritual barometer of the family, right? Mom to do the praying. Mom to take the kids to church. Mom to read the Bible story. Dad, step into the space of leading your families toward Jesus. You're the light. You are a light in that family that God has placed to shine the light of Jesus into the life of your spouse, into the life of your kids. What about employers? We have small business owners in our church. Are we shining the light of Jesus? to our employees, to those that God has entrusted to our care, not only to, to give them a, a, a means to live and to provide for their families, but an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus into their lives. What about employees? Those of us who have bosses or directors that speak into our lives, are we shining the light of Jesus? How about those of us who are students, those of you who are students, I'm not a student, but those of you who are students, are we shining the light of Jesus into the context where God has placed us at, at elementary school, middle school, high school, college, and beyond? Are we shining the light of Jesus in those moments? In a dark world, shining 
the light? Are we doing it in our neighborhoods and the people that we interact with at, at the grocery store and at the post office and all the places that make up the society in which we live? Are we paying attention and stepping into kingdom opportunities as individuals? Now, here it is for us as a church, city church. Are we seeking kingdom opportunities? to step into the space of the community in which God has placed us and shine the light of Jesus. Not for some agenda to just simply fill up all the seats in here, but an agenda that God has placed us into this dark corner of the world to shine the light of Jesus, even to people that will never step foot in our red doors. Are you with me? Shining the light of Jesus. Are we looking for kingdom opportunities? Here's how we apply that. Are we asking God to grow and expand His kingdom in us and through us? God, would Your rule and reign be evident in my life and those around me? Allow Your kingdom to grow and be expanded through me, through our church. And the key to all of these questions, are we staying focused on our King? Staying focused on Jesus? Staying focused on the king of the kingdom. Living under his rule and reign. Now, let me bring this full circle for you. Think about the imagery in these stories. A lamp. A plant, a planted seed which burst forth into life. A seed that becomes a tree of life where people from all over, birds from all over, gather and nest in the branches. Do these images sound familiar to you? I mean, if you're a student of the Bible in any way, they should sound familiar. Here's how they sound familiar. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the lamp. He is the light of the world, bringing light into the dark souls of humanity. Jesus is the seed that was planted in the soil and was brought forth, that is raised and springs to life so that we might live. Jesus is the tree of life. In Him, there is salvation and refuge and healing and redemption for all tribes, all tongues, all nations of the world. That's the picture at the end of the book in Revelation where everyone gathers from all over the world to worship King Jesus. And guess what's in the middle of the kingdom? A tree of life. There it is. The kingdom of God is ultimately about the King. We are His people, citizens of His kingdom, empowered by His Spirit, chosen by Him to build His church. And so I invite those of us who belong to His kingdom to lean in, to align our souls, align our lives to His rule and reign, to, as a church, to align our ministry with God's kingdom work in us and around us, a city on a hill reflecting the light of Jesus. And here is the supernatural, divine, big picture promise. Jesus says, I will build my church and i like the tagline after that and the gates of hell itself cannot stand against it will not prevail even as we live in this already but not yet part of god's redemptive story pay attention city church those of us who have ears to hear let us hear eyes to see let us see the kingdom of God is here operating in the ordinary. 
and transforming the souls and lives of those who have ears to hear. Let's bow our heads for prayer.